Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. My name's Ash and today within the studio we have Robert. Good afternoon. And Lynn. Hey. Hi. And, um, you know, we're very close to winding down the year and something that a lot of our clients, including a lot of our listeners, would want to know more about is how do we wrap up the year on a good note? And to do that correctly, a lot of times your financial advisors or your CPAs that you work with will ask you to do a tax planning. And that's what we'll be talking about today in our episode, about what goes into it, what are some of the things we should pay attention to, what are some of the things that we can probably do before the year ends so we can um, reduce our tax liability and take advantage of um, all the deductions and credits that are out there. So how are we doing today, guys? Doing great. It's a beautiful fall day in Texas. <laughs> a little windy. Oh, really windy. But it's nice and cool. That is true. I'll take it every day we can get it. Yes. Better than 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. Any day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so tax planning. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to start? Exciting topic. <laughs> Very. Don't. <laughs> you're going to taint them against it already. <laughs> it's not an exciting talk topic, but it's a important topic. Mm-hmm. It's valuable. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one of the few things you can do and see an immediate impact to your pocketbook. So let's talk about some, like, normal every year kind of things that we would recommend at year end that they'd be looking at what would you advise well you know normally every year year end we talk about accelerating expenses and deferring income into next year but there's this little thing called the biden administration and whether you agree or disagree or voted for them or not they are currently in session in congress and the, the senate trying to change the tax laws And when they get their act together, they're going to pass a bill that's going to increase tax rates. We don't know if it's going to increase it for everybody or for most people or only for the rich. But it will increase tax rates for income levels above a certain level. It could be 400000 It could be a million. Certainly, it's going to be um, a surtax on those earning over $10 is what I've read recently. So we'll see how that shakes out. But because of the projected increase in tax rates, it probably wouldn't be prudent to defer some of your December collections into January because you'll be taxed on them at a higher rate next year. So this year is one of those years, and I think we've had a couple of them in the last five, but Mm -hmm. this is one of those years where you want to collect everything you can this year and maybe actually put off paying some expenses until next year. Yes, that will result in a higher tax bill this year, but you'll pay a lower percentage tax on the income you make this year than you would if you did it the other way around. Most likely. And this is the difficulty for us and for every planner right now in America. They're going, 
well, this is what I would advise you today, but I don't know what the rules are going to be tomorrow. And they're every day that they come together, they being Congress, come together and talk about the tax laws that they want. It's different every day. And so how it all shakes out, there is no way to determine. So you're going to get the best advice you can get, and everybody's going to be going, well, we hope this is the right advice for you. And as of today, I know the big question a lot of people have is on capital gains. Mm-hmm. Those, um, a lot of people, I know I have some clients that are trying to get practices sold before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some clients trying to sell other assets by the end of the year. A lot of people are talking about uh, taking gains on their portfolio by the end of the year. It's no longer certain that the increase in the capital gains rate is going to be effective this year. It may actually not be effective till January 1st of 2022. But we don't know that for a fact. We don't. And And we don't know what the increase is going to be. Well, and it's no longer certain there's going to be an increase unless your income exceeds a certain level. Again, is that going to be $400,000? Is it going to be a million dollars? We don't know. Um, And if they don't pass this thing before the end of the year, which is always a possibility, then we won't know until January. So there could be people selling practices that close on December 31st that wish they hadn't done it until January 1st. And there's just no way to know 100%. There's not. But I guess to be safe, mm-hmm. you know, the, you go ahead and, and, and close any mm-hmm. transactions you can before the end of the year to take advantage of um, maybe the, the increase that's not going to be effective until January 1st. Right. Hope, hopefully. If that is right. the final rule. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the dilemma we have is uh, the rules are what they are today and they're going to change in the next probably 10 days or so. Yeah. Um, and then we don't know what the effective date of those are going to be. Well, so. and, and they may change in the next 10 days or so, but that's always that's always their position. They're about to make a decision, and then they don't necessarily make a decision. I mean, if we think back to this time last year, you know, all your PPP fund use was not going to be deductible. And come January, they changed it all. So we gave a lot of people advice that, turned out to be, you know, just kind of irrelevant. And they made that change on December 27th mm-hmm. last year, so right up to the end of the year. Right, right. Yeah. So they gave us no way to properly plan for it, but we did, you know, we were able to take that into consideration because we knew it was likely. So we kind of evaluated it both ways, but here we go again. We have to go with what the rules are and then anticipate what is also likely to happen. And what's likely to happen is it's likely to change capital gains rates for the worse, effective probably 22, but but dot, 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 who knows? Well, and the, the proposal, just so everybody is clear, the proposal is that capital gains rates increase effective back to September the 14th, which was the day the proposal was made. Mm-hmm. So is it going to be September the 14th? Is it going to be January 1st? Right. Somewhere in between. And what does that change that they're currently talking about? I mean, what are they going to raise capital gains tax to? The most recent thing I've seen was 25%, from 20% to 25%. And then if it's a investment, you're also subject to the 3.8% uh, Obamacare tax. Right. And so that's actually better than some of the proposals, which changed the capital gain rate to your ordinary rate. So if you're in the 37% tax rate, you would have gotten a change from 20% or 23.8% to say 35%, which would have been very painful because you're talking about large sales, large transactions at that point, not the sale of Coke stock for And of course, you're talking about capital gains on assets that's been held for longer than a year. 
That's true. Yes. And of course, I, I, I personally, I wish they would apply it if they were going to change it at all. I wish they would apply it only to uh, stocks and investments and not to business assets. Mm-hmm. But, but unfortunately, business assets like a dental practice being sold uh, are also subject to the same rules. But you never know what caveats they could throw in at the last minute. They could make that uh, segregation. It's unlikely, but you just never know. You just never know. Yeah, but you have a lot of, you know, wealthy people that are helping shape the tax laws that would like these rules in place as well. Very well put. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. so we talked a lot about the uncertainties. What about the certain aspects of tax planning for this year? What are some of the things that our listeners can do and we know will benefit them? Well, I think one kind of kind of good thing is if we're going to say defer your expenses where we would normally say accelerate your expenses. So if you're thinking about finishing out another operatory, we would normally say get that done by end of year. This year, we would probably say put that off till January, which is probably good this year because you may not be able to get those supplies in time. <laughs> the equipment is backordered. Supply lines are insane. So it, it may work to your benefit when you take those things into consideration. You may not be able to get them done anyway because, remember, the equipment can't just be purchased. It has to be installed and in use to get the deduction. Uh, you know, that's a good point. A lot of people have talked to me on the phone, and they, they feel like if they pay for it, mm-hmm. it's deductible. Right. And with equipment, that's not correct. It actually has to be in service. You don't even have to pay for it. That's right. It just has to be in service. That's right. I mean, if it's an autoclave, plug it into the wall. Right. If it's a chair, it has to be bolted to the floor. You can't do that yourself. you got to get the supply guy to come out there mm-hmm. and handle it for you. It certainly can't be sitting in their supply warehouse. That's very true. So very it true. at least has to be in your office. And I know a lot of the the big companies have said in past years that if you didn't order something by October 1st, there was no guarantee you'd have it by the end of the year. And I think due to the supply chain problems, that's been exasperated even worse this year. So haven't heard any stories uh, about it yet, uh, but I'm sure we will as we get closer to year end. That's a very good point. And, you know, on the subject matter of equipment purchases for the year, one of the things that I was notified of by a few of our clients was that they weren't really aware that a lot of these vendors have trading programs. Um, in other words, if they have equipment that has gone obsolete or they're thinking of getting rid of, a lot of times they just actually go to like Facebook Marketplace mm-hmm. or Yahoo someplace or eBay to sell them off at a very for chump change. Uh, but these vendors, a lot of times if you tell them that, hey, look, you know, I want to buy this. However, I have an equipment that I'm willing to trade for this. Um, the trade-in discount that they get is a lot higher than what they would get on Facebook Marketplace or hmm. eBay. So that's also another thing to consider if you are planning on purchasing an well, equipment. Well, and probably a lot easier, to be honest, than, oh, it is than because, to try to contract with yeah, someone. I get calls all the time from clients looking for someone to buy used equipment, and it's hard to find those people, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're just not going to pay you much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's if you don't list it yourself on eBay or Facebook Marketplace. So, yes, it's a lot easier if you coordinate it all with uh, your new equipment sales rep. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're anything like the auto dealers right now, they're happy to get that used equipment into their inventory just so they have something that they can sell somebody if they're looking, if they're yeah. desperate. And, Ash, you ask about um, some of the things that you could do for certain Mm-hmm. Uh, to reduce your taxes. And one of those big things is retirement plans. Right. That's the probably the number one. 
biggest it's, tax break. It's probably one of the bigger, certainly, deductions mm-hmm. you can create for yourself, and you still get to keep the money. Yeah, because it's in your account. It's just you can't touch it till you retire. Right. Without Without penalty. Gonna, right. Without penalty. Right. You still can't get to it because some people are afraid of that aspect that they cannot access it. But you can access it. It's just going to cost you. Yeah, you but, of course, the normal rule that everybody knows is 59 and a half. But, you know, if you retire from dentistry earlier than that, you can access, access your money with no penalty. If you take substantially equal periodic payments over at least five years. Right. If you take If you take the right steps... It can be done. Yeah. That's right. Speaking of retirement, how early should someone consider funding a retirement account? And not so much for, you know, just tax savings, but also from, you know, um, reaching a point from the current rate of growth that, okay, this is a comfortable amount I can retire. You mean how early in their career or how early in the year? How early should they? That's what I was thinking. How early in the year is the way you started out. But then I thought, no, he's talking about how early in their career. Mm -hmm. How early in their career. Yes, that's That's an easy one. As a financial planner, I'd say as soon as they graduate from dental Mm -hmm. school, (laughs) (laughs) the sooner you start, the more you're going to accumulate, the less you have to save later, Um, You know, the more you can enjoy your lifestyle. So you want to start funding sooner rather than later. Certainly you want to start funding before you're paying off your student loans. A lot of people try to get out of debt first, and I can show tons of illustrations where, you know, if you don't start saving till you're out of debt, you're never going to catch up with a person that makes the minimum loan payments and saves as much as they possibly can earlier in their career. So savings trumps out of debt. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a tax benefit to it, but there's just a a life benefit to it, a financial planning benefit to it that you just can't recover. You can still save plenty for retirement if you don't do it right away, but you'll never recover that growth that was lost. And it's really simple math. The longer you wait, the more you cost yourself in the long run. You should really make it a habit of paying yourself first before you before the money's gone because you will spend it on other things. That's just oh, that's true. The American yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, again, you know, I'm I'm probably going to come back to this retirement point a lot, just because it is a big chunk of tax planning. Um, let's say I'm an associate doctor. I don't have a practice yet, uh, and I keep hearing about funding a retirement. What are some of the various retirement types that I can fund that will give me a tax benefit and will also be good for you know um, saving for my retirement? Well, you know, worst case scenario, and I, I shouldn't say worst case, but worst case scenario, you fund an IRA. And that's because of the funding amount. Because of the not amount. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with IRAs. They're not, not at all. perfectly good vehicles. Yes. But they are more limited. And you're limited to, what is it, 6000 or 6500 6000 yeah. uh, if you're under 50. Right. Uh, if you start funding, if you're paid as an independent contractor, then you can fund an SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension Plan. Uh, the maximum on that is up to 25% of your um, self-employment income, up to a maximum of $57,000. So it's substantially more than uh, an IRA. Uh, you could also do um, a, 401k, a solo 401k, in which you can defer up to $19,500 if you're under age 50. If you're over age 50, you can add 6500 to that. So there's a lot of different options. Uh, but if you're a W-2 employee as an associate doctor, your only option is probably the IRA. 
Well, if if your employer doesn't have a plan, if your employer true, has a plan, true. that's that's the way to go because you can put that nineteen five away. Plus, hopefully, you're getting uh, some profit sharing from the practice, or at least a match. Yeah, at least a match. Um, if not, then IRA is really your only option. And we're talking traditional IRA. A Roth IRA is a. It's not going to get you a tax break, so it's not quite as good a vehicle. Now, I do like them, but if you are making as much as a traditional dentist is making being an associate, your income is going to be over the limit that will allow you to fund a Roth. A lot of people make that mistake because a Roth is a a great financial planning tool because it grows tax-free, right? Um, But there are substantial income limitations on that that will not allow you to fund into that if you make too much money. And generally speaking, if you're a dentist making a normal amount, you're making too much money. So that's the problem. And in the past, that's one of the changes that may be coming. In the past, you could convert that back to a traditional and so not be penalized for it. Um, or you could fund a traditional. Yeah, and, that was, and, I said that backwards. Do the backdoor Roth. You could, you could fund a traditional and, and put it into a Roth. Right. That's one of the things they're trying very that, hard to eliminate. That's one of the things that Congress is really um, more or less upset about. Mm-hmm. And they really want to eliminate that. That was never their intention, according to them. Uh, of course, it's a different administration, but they say it was never the intention to allow people to do that. So mm-hmm. that's probably going to go away after this year. Yeah, unfortunately, because a Roth is a great tool. Yeah. Um, but you you will be limited if your income limits you versus right now there are ways to, to get around those limits. So. And then as far as setting up retirement plans, yeah. uh, Let's talk 2021 about that. was the first time in my career we won't talk about how long that's been, uh, <laughs> that you've been able to fu- to set up to establish a new retirement plan after year end to be effective for the prior year. Well, let's let's qualify that. You're, you're talking a formal retirement plan for your business because that's, that's not true for an SEP or an IRA. You can do that. You could do that after year end. That's correct. But for your business, typically in the past, you had to have that set up by either 1031 or 1231 of the year to be able to fund it, take advantage of it. Um, and then that changed in 21 for tax year 20. That's correct. Uh, and theoretically, you can set up a plan now mm-hmm. uh, as late as the due date of the tax return, although you have to give yourself time to fund it because the funding is also due by the due date of the tax return, including extensions. Right. But we have several of our clients that have established cash balance plans which enables them to save um, a, a large amount of money, usually 100000 uh, in excess of $100,000 a year, uh, and it's 100% deductible. Mm. And yeah. that, that's a big tax planning tool right there. Right, and, and in prior years, that decision would have to be basically made now. Yes. And not necessarily funded, but the decision would have to be made now and the plan set up now. And... If you are one of those people that procrastinate or didn't know about it and find out about it next year, you actually are still going to have that as an option to you because it can still be set up after the fact. None of our listeners are procrastinators. That's true. That good point. So true. That's a good point. Excellent, excellent listeners. <laughs> um, now, speaking of retirement, Robert, you know, there's also this other question that I get from clients. Uh, now, I'm not really sure if this goes hand in hand with what you said earlier about the tax rates may change the following year. Um, for people that are planning on recharacterizing um, 
the traditional IRA to Roth IRA, there may be some tax impact. And would you recommend for them to consider that this year, especially if they think they may go into a higher tax bracket the following year? Absolutely. Because if they're going to be in a higher tax bracket, then why wait and pay more tax on the conversion? Uh, so if they're, if they are going to convert, then they've got to get it done before the end of the year this year. Yeah. For two, for two reasons, because A, the, the rates may be higher, so you're going to pay more tax next year if you do it in 22. But plus, it may not be allowed under the new laws uh. in 22. So if you're thinking about, and and this isn't a backdoor Roth where that's limit, you know, that's nor- your normal six thousand dollar contribution that you're changing over. You're talking about converting a, an entire portfolio that you've tri- funded a traditional IRA all these years, and now you're thinking about converting that to a Roth. So if you've been debating that you need to do it or it's possibly not going to be an option to you. Most likely not going to be an option to you. They really want to get rid of that, I think. I don't know. I haven't, I don't recall reading that because in my mind that enables them to collect more tax. I don't think that's something they would cut. More tax currently, but no, not more tax in the long run. Exactly. And I think that's what they yeah. don't like, but yeah. you're right. Because of that, I, I could see that maybe squeaking by, but it's the fact that these portfolios are growing tax-free for wealthy individuals that they don't like. Yes. They being Congress, the evil ones. <laughs> Those that tax us. <laughs> I do like having nice roads to drive on in an army to protect me, just, just to be fair. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we are not anti-government. We are, we are not, no. Uh, yes. Now, um, also another topic regarding the retirement um, a lot of times, you know, new business owners, they're very afraid to implement a retirement plan right off the get-go because of their higher expenses and whatnot. Um, but oftentimes we tell them, no, you should consider it. And if you have the funds, do it because there is one thing that they can actually take advantage of, which is a voluntary discrimination, which can actually work to their advantage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, in the early years of establishing a retirement plan, they can fund it for uh, the business owner only if they find a SAP because the other employees wouldn't be eligible for a couple of years. Um, and of course, in the early years is when they can least afford it. But I, again, we do encourage them to try to scratch and come up with the money to save it in those early years because you can discriminate totally toward the, the business owner. Once the employees become eligible, then it, there is some cost involved. Uh, it's in my opinion, it's not a major cost because your tax savings usually more than offsets your cost of funding for the eligible staff. And that's something we always evaluate before we recommend it. Yes, yes, yeah. If you have uh, more than, I think I did the study one time and the cutoff was somewhere around nine or 10 employees. If you have more than that number of employees, it's probably going to be a net cost rather than a tax savings. But if you have the typical dental office, five, six, seven employees, you're probably going to save more than you're spending on funding for your eligible staff. But it, it does matter how much those employees are making versus how much the owner's making. Yes, it does. And also it depends on their age. Mm-hmm. Yes. So those are some great tips, Robert. And, you know, so we covered some of the uncertainties and some of the things that we're fairly sure is going to be something to consider for your tax planning. Now let's talk about things that are more specific to this year, right? And um, honestly, I, I can think of one topic that's been there for a while, but uh, I've gotten so many questions about this this year. I feel like there's more and more people involved 
with this. And it's definitely something that we need to touch upon at least a little bit. I know mm-hmm. we can have a whole episode dedicated which, to this. Which I think we are. Awesome. That's yes. great because I think our audience will love to listen to that. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I know, right? I'm so, I'm, I don't know. I'm being so. Teasing, right? I'm teasing, right? I'm just getting to the point. So it would be the cryptocurrencies, right? It's growing um, rapidly. Like crazy. Well, and I think literally it's growing in value so rapidly that that's what's created so much interest in it by the clients. And there are um, a lot more people involved in it now. There are a lot more cryptocurrencies out there than just Bitcoin. And uh, the IRS is aware of it. They have put out some, um, what do you call them, letters of, I don't recall. But uh, they have put out some publications indicating that this is going to be part of their focus going forward. So they're looking for people that are reporting, not reporting, their their Mm -hmm. crypto uh, transactions. Because the crypto transactions currently are not reported to the IRS. Doesn't mean they're not taxable and not reportable. But the IRS doesn't have them easily in their computer system. So they're actively looking for non-reporters. And a lot of times it's just... You know, you don't get a tax form at the end of the year, so you don't think about telling your accountant about it. It's usually inadvertent. Um, but the reality is that makes it more difficult for you as a taxpayer because you have to keep your own records. And that's the problem we're finding is we hear you have cryptocurrency and we start asking what your sales were and what your purchases were. And that information is not easily attainable and it delays tax return prep because you have to go dig it out. And so, yeah, I do think we have a a whole episode coming on what, how to keep your records, what the pitfalls are, what the benefits are. We have a, a client expert, I think, that's on, on track for that. Yeah, at least one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be in, in an upcoming episode. Uh, we'll go into that in a lot more detail. So then your other hot topic, I think, is electric vehicle credit. Ah, uh, Yes. You know, uh, this is something that's been introduced for some time and it's been there and then it went away. It came back again and then it went away again. Um, more specifically, I should say for Tesla's. Right. And I feel like a lot of our listeners, including our clients, think because it doesn't apply to a Tesla anymore that this credit no longer exists. So let's be real clear that, that the uh, electric car tax credit is no longer available for Tesla's. Correct. Okay. Because the government has set certain stipulations where a certain manufacturer, if they produce a certain number of a specific model, once they reach that quota, that specific model is no longer eligible for the EV tax credit. Um, But there are other manufacturers out there that are also making EV vehicles, and a lot of them do qualify for this credit. Um, The credit can go up to as high as $7,500, but not all vehicles um, can get you that credit if you need a more specific amount of how much you can get from a certain vehicle that may qualify. You need to actually check fueleconomy.gov. Um, that list is actually updated pretty regularly. So let's say if you were deciding on buying, I'm not sure, uh, let's say the RAV the RAV4 hybrid. Which I had no idea that one was even on the list. So Oh, yes. That's, and that's, that's also another thing. People think it's only with electric vehicles, but hybrid hybrids. vehicles qualify as well. Right. And that's also another thing. So I do encourage you guys to check that list, especially if you guys are in the market looking for a vehicle to buy, um, and see if there's some additional tax credit that you can get by purchasing that vehicle. And then as a pre- preparer, I would say, 
inform your CPA that this has happened. Don't wait till you get your tax return and say, where's my credit? And <laughs> they never knew that you bought this this car. So keep those records because the make and model and year, all of that factors into the credit amount. So you can't just say, I bought an electric vehicle. There are more details required. So keep that documentation and pass it along to your yeah. tax preparer. Yeah. The credit is not just $7,500 right. across mm-hmm. the board. It depends on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it also depends on whether you're the original owner of the vehicle or not. So let's say if you are in the market for a used vehicle and you're thinking, oh, I'm buying a used electric vehicle, which is on the list, I can probably apply for this credit. Um, not necessarily, because right. if the but previous maybe. owner- maybe. Maybe, because the credit can only be received once, once per vehicle. Right. And I'm not really sure if there's any way the second owner can find that out. If no, the I doubt owner- it. I think the only way it would probably be applied to a, a used car is if it's a car that had not been on the list and then was subsequently put on the list. Yeah. And so it couldn't have been taken in the past because it wasn't eligible in the past. So that is a possibility. I think it's an unlikelihood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so definitely be on the lookout for that whenever you guys are in the market for a vehicle and you guys are okay with driving the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, if, you, if you're going to get a hybrid, and there's a lot of hybrids out there, mm-hmm. might as well get the credit. Right, especially with the gas prices being up so high. Yeah. Hybrid might be the way to go. Right. Now, is the uh, vehicle credit also available on cars manufactured in foreign countries and sold in the U.S.? Uh, yes, so you will see a lot of cars listed on that list that's not all domestic. Okay, Good. So, uh, again, the RAV4 is actually a Japanese car. So, you, you, this, there's like a good variation there. It's not just Teslas is what I'm and saying. And it's, it's not, not just high-end. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's not just high-end. It's not just Tesla. And people, it's not called the Tesla credit. It's called the EV <laughs> tax credit. <laughs> So, they definitely benefited from it, I oh, will yes, say. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I remember when the hype first started and people were like, oh, I'm going to get a Tesla because I'm going to get the $7,500 yeah. credit. And I'm like, but you're going to spend $120,000 <laughs> to buy that vehicle. Um, but somehow it made sense for them. So, yeah. well, I know the credit used to be available on golf carts. Is it still? No way. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that yeah. that is an electric yeah. vehicle. It is. Um Personally, I think it'd be totally fun to have a golf cart. So. <laughs> right? I guess that's the original electric vehicle. It is, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Do they even cost $7,500? Oh, yeah. You can get them tricked out. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. oh yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's a thing. Um, the other thing I would say is there's this advanced child tax credit thing going on this year, which is just a, a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> because... They're sending it out to everyone. You can opt out of it, supposedly, but uh, trying to get out of it is so difficult and cumbersome that most people are giving up before they can opt out. So the government is sending it out to people who really don't aren't going to qualify once their 2021 taxes are filed because a lot of the 2020 taxes were lower. The income was lower because of COVID. Under a normal year, which 21 is looking to be certainly a more normal year as far as income is concerned, um, they would not qualify for that advanced child tax credit, but they're getting it anyway. It's too difficult to opt out. So that's going to have to be paid back on the tax return, and you're going to have to report the payments that you've received. You're not going to remember the payments you've received. So this is one of those things you need to be keeping track of because it's going to delay your tax preparation. 
or it's going to cause you to get a notice because you're not going to report that you received it. And you're going to get a notice later saying you owe more tax because you're going to have to repay it. Um, same with the stimulus payments, because that that last stimulus payment went out like last March of 21, something like that. And if you're, you know, if you're getting your tax ap- taxes prepared next October 22nd, heaven forbid. A year and a half later. Yeah. yeah. You may or may not remember. Uh, yeah, I got some of them. Did I get that one? I don't know. So that's another thing that's going to delay your tax return. And tax preparers cannot tell most of the time. There, there are ways to check for some of those payments, but the IRS cuts them off and they're no longer active. So we can't necessarily look those up. So you're, you're going to have to remember what happened a long time ago. So start thinking about it now and making notes now. So if you get any of those notices that look like they might be attributable to something your tax preparer might need, throw them in a manila folder and, mm-hmm. and mark it tax information and, and then put it somewhere it where you can find it again to scan next it month. over. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Because it's right around the corner. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, because <laughs> I swear it just ended. <laughs> well, we just finished one tax season and we'll start a new one. Right. Okay, guys, is there anything else we need to bring to their attention today that we have time for? No, unfortunately, I think we're almost out of time, at least for this episode. Okay. Um, So, audience, listeners, if you guys have other questions or things you'd want to know more from us, please reach out to us at info at the rate sign eandassociates.com. And we look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond Bite Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more info, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.